You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, we're doing some summer reading. Summer's a good time to take out a book. It's important, and there's no more important book than the Bible. And uh, we're going to take on the whole grand narrative of the Bible in uh, now just 14 weeks. Uh, A little bit of introduction last week where we saw what the Bible is. It's written by ordinary people, but it's a Bible that the great wind of God, the Spirit of God, blew into existence, speaking His Word for our benefit. It's a book that's inspired. And this same Holy Spirit uh, is available to you and to me to inspire our lives when we read it and understand it and live within the narrative that it contains. Like all good stories, the Bible begins in the beginning. In fact, the first book of the Bible is called Genesis, which uh, is a word that comes to us through the Latin translation, Jerome, the Vulgate, uh, from the word, from the first word in the book, which is in Hebrew, in the beginning. The, uh, the Jews, the Israelites, referred to this book just simply by the first word of the book, Bereshit, which means in the beginning. Uh, so this is where the story of the Bible begins, way back, not with the story of Israel and its beginning, but with the very beginning. So would you open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, which is really easy to find uh, this week. Just page 1. Genesis chapter 1. And the text that we'll read together is Genesis 1 through 5. We'll be keeping the whole first three chapters in mind as we reflect this morning. Uh, Would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Beautiful, beautiful text. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. Great wind of God who hovered over the face of the formless and void. We invite you now to hover over our lives in this room, that you might speak life within our lives, just as you did so many millions of years ago. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a noisy planet. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you saw the movie that was uh, made out of Carl Sagan's book, Contact, there's a beautiful depiction of that in its opening scene. It begins with a radar array on the planet Earth and it's picking up all kinds of noise. Uh, radio broadcasts from around at least that vicinity and the, the, the camera, which is sort of where our vantage point is, begins to move back from the blue planet and uh, pierce through the atmosphere and approach the moon. And as you move away from the earth and it gets smaller and you're looking out towards space, the number of radio broadcasts diminish and pretty soon you can start to make out distinct words. As you go by Mars and uh, you're picking up speed moving through our solar system, you hear fewer and fewer and pretty soon you, you can hear actual phrases and different languages 
noise, voices from all around this planet, you, you realize now you're beginning to travel back in time. You're beginning to hear, um, I have a dream. Or little bits of, you, you, you hear uh, eventually uh, familiar radio broadcasts until eventually it trails off and you hear Adolf Hitler speaking in German and pretty soon just nothing, just silence. And you're moving further and further out into deep space. Those of you who are scientists, astrophysicists, you look through the Hubble telescope and show us these beautiful pictures. And what we see, we understand, when we look at those images is the past. We're traveling back in time as we look back. And if we were to look back 13.7 billion years, way, way, way back there, what we would hear all of a sudden, we're told, is a really big noise. But if we could listen back behind that little, really big noise, what the Bible tells us we would hear is a simple phrase. Let there be light. Just one voice. Uh, the word of God. Speaking into emptiness, nothingness, darkness, and chaos. Let there be light. That is God's word in the beginning and then God looks and he sees that it's good. Now, you don't have to be an astrophysicist or even a theologian to appreciate this. You just have to be somebody who faces discouragement. This week, I hung up my telephone uh, late one night uh, in a conversation with someone in a strained relationship. And I realized, I think I'm a contributor to the strain. And I was discouraged. I went and did my bedtime routine, started to brush my teeth and, and thought about the past and that relationship and played in my mind what I wish I had done differently. And I was hearing all these voices urging me uh, to address what I had done wrong and, and maybe encouraging me to uh, try to somehow make it right. And I had no idea how to do this. And I thought, well, the best thing to do here at this point is simply to go to bed. I sat on my bed and uh, set the alarm clock as I do every night. The radio was on just long enough to hear some talk show guy say, you know, all I want to do is just live my life without hurting other people. And I thought, oh my gosh, how did I have to hear just that? Because I realized, you know, that's me. And and I'm more willing to hear these noisy voices that discourage me than I am willing to hear the simple, clear voice of God. I needed hope. I needed the kind of hope that I preach about here, I hope, every Sunday. And when I look at the book of Genesis, I take it that sometimes in order to go forward with hope, you have to go back, way back. And hear God's word speaking to you in the beginning. In the original Hebrew, the ordering of the words is this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now I ask you as you reflect on the profundity of, the, of those simple words. To think about how do we know that this is how it happened? I mean, who was there to record these words? Who was there to see this thing? And I, I get it's, um, it's possible that God himself chose to blog about this, as uh, Paul Sims imagined in The New Yorker a couple years ago. And I just thought I would read, here's what happened maybe if God had, uh, had, had blogged about his creation. Uh, his words, update, pretty pleased with what I've come up with in just six days. Going to take tomorrow off. Feel free to check out what I've done so far. Suggestions and criticism, constructive please, more than welcome. God out. Then comments. 14, you know, the, underneath the blog, these comments that are there, always interesting. So here's what God got. 
Not sure who this is for. Seems like a fix for a problem that didn't exist. Like it better when the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. (laughs) Somebody else says, going carbon-based for the life form seems a tad obvious. No. Another one. The creeping things that creepeth over the earth are gross. Someone else said, not enough action, needs more conflict. Maybe put in a whole bunch more people, limit the resources, and see if uh, you, we can get some fights going. Give them different skin colors so they can tell each other apart. Why are the creatures more or less symmetrical on a vertical axis, but completely asymmetrical on a horizontal axis? It's almost like you had a great idea, but you didn't have the guts to go all the way with it. Somebody else writes, amoebas are too small to see. They should be at least the size of a plum. Someone else says, I I like the old commenting format better. When when you could get automatic alerts when someone replied to your comment. This new way, you have to click through the three or four pages to see new comments. And they're not even organized by threads. Until this is fixed, I'm afraid I won't be checking in on your creation. (laughs) Somebody else, the lemon tree, very pretty. The lemon flower, sweet. But the fruit of the poor lemon, impossible to eat. Is this a bug or a feature? Somebody else writes, unfocused. Seems like a mishmash at best. You've got creatures that can speak but aren't smart, parrots. Then you've got creatures that are smart but can't speak, dolphins, dogs, houseflies. Then you've got man, who is smart and can speak, but who can't fly, breathe underwater, or unhinge his jaws to swallow large prey in one gulp. If this is supposed to be chaos, then mission accomplished. But it seems more like laziness and bad planning. Shoes, Manilo, Jimmy Cho, Vuitton, Prada, all sizes, great deals, free shipping, shoeswarehouse.com. Somebody else, penguins are lame, their wings don't work and their legs are too short. I guess they're supposed to be cute in a I like, L-I-E-K, to eat the fish's way, but it's such obvious pandering to the lowest common denominator. Well, there's imitation and there's homage, someone else writes, and then there's straight up idea theft which is what your thing appears to be. Anyone who wants to check out the original should go to www.vishnuandbrahma.com and check it out soon because I think they're about to go behind a paywall. Then somebody else, wow, just wow. I don't even know where to start. So the man and his buddy, the rib thing, have dominion over everything. They're going to get unbearable really fast. What you need to do is make them think that there were other, bigger, scarier creatures around a long time before them. I suggest dinosaurs. No need to actually create dinosaurs. Just create some weird dinosaur bones and skeletons and bury them in random locations. Man will dig them up eventually and will think, what the? (laughs) And then finally, epic fail. Well, uh, it's a critical world. It's a noisy world. There are a lot of voices out there. Thankfully, God did not advertise his creation through the Internet on a blog. But God did speak. And who was listening? Who was hearing these sublime words? Who was taking hope when they were first written? Well, the scholars tell us we don't really know who wrote Genesis 1, but that's just what scholars think. I, I can tell you I know who wrote Genesis 1. I'm quite sure of it. I know that it was written by someone who is discouraged in the middle, someone who f- finds hope in the end by listening in the beginning. Just take a moment and zoom in on the author of this. Let's just start with the whole Bible for a second since we're looking at the grand narrative of the Bible. If you're very new to this book, it has two parts. There's the New Testament and the Old Testament. Zoom in on the Old Testament. 
the Israelites uh, organized the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, in three parts. The law, the prophets, and the writings. Zoom in on the law. This is the part of the Old Testament that we call the Pentateuch. It refers to the five books, the books of Moses. Uh, zoom in on the first of those five books. Genesis. Uh, this book, In the Beginning. Zoom in on Genesis, you find it has two parts to it. There is Genesis 1 through 11, uh, the prologue. And then there is Genesis 12 through 50, the patriots, patriarchs. Uh, a little American history thrown in there. The patriarchs. <laughs> prologue and patriarchs. I just like the P thing. That will help us. Um, first 11 chapters, the proto-history, the prologue, uh, the early history. Zoom in on that and you find there are two parts to the prologue. There's the part before the fall and there's the part after the fall. Now, here's what I know for sure. The person who wrote this wrote after the fall. They lived in the middle. In the middle of chaos, in the middle of emptiness, in the middle of nothingness, in the middle of darkness. They lived east of Eden. Which means whoever wrote this was somebody who lived with the pain of childbirth. Live with the pain of not childbirth. Or live with the pain of uh, being a wife ruled over by one's husband. Or leave, live with the pain of not having a husband. So somebody who lived with the pain of toiling amidst the thorn and the thistles. Or live with the pain of not being able to toil. Somebody who lived with the pain of eating their bread by the sweat of the brow. Or who lived with the pain of not having enough or per perhaps any bread at all. This is somebody who lived with the pain of death and dying east of Eden. You see, this is a person who would look around her, look around him, and see that not everything is very good. We know that uh, Moses is attributed to, to this first five books. They're called the five books of Moses. And I think that the tradition is very reliable there, that Moses in some way authored the first five books of the Old Testament. Yet we know for a fact that there were three phases of authorship. There were sources uh, then there was the composition, and then there were uh, updates and revisions. And so, yes, maybe Moses is the author, but I want to tell you that this is somebody, long after it happened, who lived a life just like you and me, a regular life, who's subject to discouragement. And yet, they could write Genesis 1 as a confession of faith, as an articulation of hope that this is a world behind which speaks a God who says, it is good. And you are good. See, we're tucked in the middle too. We live lives in the middle of the story. And we forget how it began and we're not so sure at all how it's going to end. I don't know if you saw this week this uh, tragic story, this couple in New York City. They're talk show hosts. They run a talk show called The Pursuit of Happiness. And they were found in their apartment. It ended their lives. How sad this is that even the people who help us, who coach us through the struggles of our lives get to a point where they find they've got no more moves left for their own lives. They're kind of out of options, out of hope. Friday night I was uh, studying U Village Starbucks and I loved, I loved being in there. Exam week, it was just packed. I had to camp out there really early to get my favorite place at this one table. 
and I was elbow to elbow with students uh, late into the night, and I listened to two uh, UW students talk with each other for hours, and they were talking about friends on Facebook, and they were talking about friends that came by, and after every friend would leave, they would debrief that friend, and there was a ton of criticism about what the person wore, what they looked like, or their Facebook picture. It was just unbelievable. And I thought, how do you sleep with yourself when all of those voices are turned against you in the middle of the night? And you wonder, do I have a Facebook picture that uh, looks well? Do I have, do I wear, and I thought, oh my gosh, all these voices in this noisy coffee room are kind of like the voices that are in our heads. And whether you are uh, worried about what's happening in the Middle East or your own middle age or being the middle child, you and I live in the middle. And the question is, how do we find hope? And I think this text leads us back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created. You see, in the emptiness, in the nothingness, in the darkness, and in the chaos of our lives, there is here a witness to the fact that God has one more move. He creates God created. Now, this verb is a very strong verb, this Hebrew word, God created. It's used seven times, this number of perfection and wholeness in Hebrew in this text. This book, this word is used a lot throughout the Old Testament, but it's always used with God as the subject. Never a human subject creates in this sense. Humans will make a lot, be called to the dignity of creation, but this word won't be used. This is a powerful word that, of which God can only be the subject, to bring something into existence. But you know what's interesting? If you do a, um, a search the distribution of this word throughout the Old Testament, you'd expect to find the majority of its occurrences in the book of Genesis. You don't. You find the majority of its occurrences on the lips of the prophets of Israel during the period of the exile. Because out of the exile and the brokenness and the chaos of losing your home, losing your God, the word of the Lord speaks. And it speaks of a God who created. Israel is taken back to the very beginning to remember who this God is. Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 65 give us this, but... Here, Isaiah says, But now this is the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. God's saying to Israel, even in exile, you're good. You're good with me. Isaiah 65, 18, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, says the Lord, for I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. A word for Israel in exile, you're good. This strong word to create doesn't just mean to bring into existence. Dictionary tells us it also means to shape new conditions, circumstances, and transformations. God has another move. We saw this this morning. If you were up early, a beautiful sunrise this morning. We see this every spring when God brings forth fresh flowers. We see this in the face of a newborn baby. God has another move. He's creating. There's a story of a group of people in a museum. They were on a tour and they stood before this one painting, which is entitled Checkmate. And it's a painting about two gentlemen who are playing chess with one another. They're seated and it's a very dignified, elaborate scene. Except when the tour guide calls the group to the attention, of, calls their attention to the features of these two players. She says, notice, 
The man on the right, his face is ashen and despondent and despairing as he looks at the board. Notice the man on the left. This man is uh, dressed as a gentleman, but there are certain indications that he's actually the devil. And you see on his face kind of a wry smile and a fiery glint in his eye. And the word checkmate just sort of hangs over the whole picture as this one man realizes he is now out of options. The tour moves up the gallery, except there's one member of that group who lingers behind. He was an old chess master, and he stayed there puzzling as he looked at that board because something didn't look right to him. And he looked at it, looked at it, and he finally realized, this man has one more move. There's one more move. on the. And he shouted out to the group. He said, hey, hey, there's one more move. The king has one more move. And that's the truth of our lives as well. With God, he always has one more move in your life. He always has another move, and Jesus is the move. That's why the Apostle John, who knew Jesus so well, one of his earlier followers, when he was in old age and in exile, he himself heard a word of hope and chose to begin his gospel, his good news, back at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. God has dwelled among us. God is another move in Jesus Christ and it's good for John, and he understands that. And it's good for Paul, and he understood that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, came late to the team. Paul, who knew himself to be the great chief of all sinners, who had murdered Stephen, the, the first uh, martyr in the early church. Paul, who was criticized by his own church in Corinth, who said, you just don't really have what it takes. He took hope back in the beginning. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts, in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You're lovely because God has loved you. You see, failure isn't fatal. And Jesus can take the brokenness in our lives, in my life, and he can turn it into something good. Because when Jesus looks at your life, he sees the end from the beginning. And he says, I, I, I see what you've done. I know how you've messed it up. I know how other people have messed it up. I know how complicated life is. But I want to tell you, I see that it's good. Seven times God creates. Seven times God sees that it is good. This is a performative statement. God sees that it's good means God makes it so. So the only question this morning for you and for me is, will we hear God's word? Out of all the voices in our day, in our week, on this planet, will we slow down enough to listen and hear God's word saying, you are good in Jesus Christ? The only problem in this text is when people begin to doubt his word. In chapter 3, verse 1, when the serpent comes to the woman and says, did God say? If you and I begin to doubt God's word, then that's when it gets dangerous in our lives. Steve Eldy, one of our pastors, told me a story about a friend of his named Tim Sporong, who was a, a delightful man, a great wit, a lot of fun to be around, but he got himself into trouble. He was a pastor, and he was, um, his marriage was spiraling, spiraling out of control and winding down into a divorce. And he crossed a moral line, sexual line, with a member of the congregation, broke his ordination vows, his promise to that congregation and to God, 
He was expelled from the congregation. He was withdrawing into uh, absolute isolation and shame, out of money and out of luck. He uh, found a room in a YMCA and began to eat out of dumpsters. He got a job driving a dump truck at one point, and when things started to turn around a little bit, he got a job working with the social services in Chicago, going into the bleakest of housing projects and rescuing children from the jaws of hell. And this is how he lived out his days. Except that one day, Tim Sporong found himself in a church. It was an old church, an old Catholic church with a small renewing congregation. And as Tim Sporong sat there one day in the pews, it is as though the voice of the Lord, through his words, spoke directly to his heart. And he had these words come to mind, the words of the centurion who calls out to Jesus. And Tim said, Lord, I am not worthy to have come under uh, your roof, but only speak the word and I will be healed. Not long after that, he found himself again back in that same church. And this day, the congregation was experiencing the rite of reconciliation and confession of sin. And there was a long line as members were lining up to confess their sin, which was fairly perfunctory, a brief statement of sin, and then uh, an absolution from the priest. Well, Tim decided to get up. He got in the line. And he came forward. And that day, it was a different priest. Father Dan Cantwell was officiating. He was struggling himself with cancers. Couldn't even stand. He was seated on a stool. And as he sat there, Tim Sprong told his whole story. He told this horrible tale of a failed marriage and sexual sin and spiritual betrayal. And Dan Cantwell just listened there. And the whole line behind them just waited as Tim told the story. And when he finally finished, uh, Father Dan Cantwell said to him, What is your name? To which he answered, Tim. And then the father said, Tim, my name is Dan. Welcome home. Welcome home. Your creator has come to you in Jesus Christ. And he's got another move in your life. Whatever you face today. He knows your story from the end. He's with you in the middle. And God is ready to give you a new beginning. So welcome home. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you can look into the mess of our lives. You can see what we and other people have done to it. And you can say, I I see a bigger picture. I see more. I see that it's good. Thank you for seeing us from the very beginning and calling us to a new beginning that leads us to the end that you have in mind for our lives. We ask that we would find a way of being quiet today. Being quiet this week. Shutting out all the other voices long enough to be able to hear your one word spoken to us in Jesus Christ. That you love us, that you're with us, and that you're for us. In his name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio Email audio at upc.org or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.